VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome to Positive Living, the program that brings you practical and inspiring principles for living more authentic, engaging, and passionate lives. Created by Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now, with Positive Living, here's Patricia Raskin. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Positive Living. I'm Patricia Raskin. You know, I've been doing these kinds of interviews since 1982 because I really believe that we can turn our problems into solutions and our challenges into opportunities, and we can make our dreams come true. And today we have a very interesting guest. We are talking about what religion and spiritual practices teach us about business, sales, and customer relations. My guest is marketing and sales guru Mark Stevens, who is the CEO of the global management and marketing firm MSCO. And he helps companies like Nike, Starwood, GE, and Simons to develop innovative and out-of-the-box business and marketing strategies. Welcome, Mark Stevens. Thank you. Good. Good. Glad to have you on. And, folks, you can give us a call at 866-472-5788 if you are listening on February 18th live on Monday between 2 and 3 p.m. Eastern and 11 and noon Pacific. Your book is called God is a Salesman. Why do you call it that? Well, I had an epiphany uh, December 2005. I <clears throat> like to go hiking every weekend morning uh, for several hours at a wilderness preserve near my home, and I was rounding a bend, and uh, it suddenly struck me, a biblical passage, I don't know where it came from because I'm, I'm not a reader of the Bible, uh, per se, and there's a passage in the Bible where um, Jesus says to Thomas, you have seen me and you believe in me. Blessed are those who have not seen me and believe in me. Mm. So blessed are those who have not seen me and believe in me. So it made me realize, whoa, there's five billion people in the world believe in God. I'm one of them. We, we're an increasingly empirical society. We want to see evidence of everything. We want to put it under a microscope. We want contracts for it. We want to have it verified on 60 Minutes. And all of it, you know, except for this, um, and except for this belief in God. So I realize the most powerful force in the world, most powerful dynamic in the world, is that which makes, has five billion of us believe in God. And, you know, I use salesmanship uh, loosely, but the great religions of the world um, have various elements as part of their process which sell us, and I say that with great respect, in believing and having faith in God, if we didn't do that, our lives would be would not be as rich as All as right, it is. so God treats us like we're family. God asks us to share his vision. Are you telling people that they need to treat their customers like family? Yeah, I mean, the, the real... One of the reasons I wrote the book, because <laughs> uh, I started writing it that, that exact day on my Blackberry that I had that, that epiphany, um, but yes, I think that we should take the principles of this that the great religions use to sell us and to have faith in God and use those in our business lives and also in our personal lives beyond the moments that we're in a house of worship. Mm-hmm. So when you when you look at business, you can be a more successful business person no matter what you do, whether you're a salesperson, a manager, or whatever, if you follow the five points that I've outlined in okay, the book that are the, the underbasis for the great religions. And one of them, yes, is... 
treating everybody like a family. I think every business person and every business should treat their customers like family members. Now, that doesn't mean that they let people take advantage of them. I don't even know what taking advantage of somebody means. I mean, see, automatically you're going to the defensive, which is the problem with the way we treat with people in business. You know, somebody can take you can take advantage of you no matter how you treat them, mm-hmm. um, and you don't want people to take advantage of you, and you don't want to take advantage of them. That doesn't upset the framework of when you, as a business, reach out to your customers. You're going to reach out to them as members of a family, as opposed to simply numbers on a server someplace. And and so the issue of taking advantage or not being taken advantage of is an important one, but has nothing to do with the starting point being, I'm going to treat these people who do business with me as members of an extended family. Mm-hmm. You also tell businesses to make 100% guarantees. What do you mean? Well, um, <clears throat> God makes a guarantee and says, if you believe in me, um, I will be with you forever um, and in life and death, um, not if I'm in a good mood or bad mood. Uh, I'm always going to be with you. You know, you can just count on me because I will be there. Businesses don't do that. Businesses, for the most part, say um, that once you start talking to businesses and individual business people about guarantees, they start thinking about lawyers. And they say, oh, can't make a guarantee because there's going to be uh, lawsuits and litigation and fine print. What if I don't be Well, that's not the kind of guarantee that any of us want. We want a guarantee that the business will, or the business person will stand behind us no matter what. For example, I bought a car, a new car from a, um, a salesperson nine years ago. And when I did that uh, purchase, he said to me, I'll always stand in front of you no matter what. And I wasn't really sure what he meant by it, but it's, I remembered it. And then last summer when I brought the car back in, uh, the third car I bought from him, what came off lease, I brought it back to uh, the dealership. Mercedes Credit said that the car had unusual, un- unreasonable wear and tear, and I, did, I thought it was nonsense. I didn't see it. So I went to the salesperson, and usually the salesperson will say, that's not my problem, that's credit, I can't deal with that, blah, 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 blah. He said to me, Mark, I will take care of it. And he called me back two days later, and he said he called Mercedes Credit, took care of it, owed nothing. He made a guarantee. That's the kind of guarantee you want. You want a guarantee that people will... Um, well, you, you ahead of them. talk about make them an offer they can't refuse, which sounds a little like the Godfather. So, what do you mean by that one? Um, when I say make an offer people can't refuse, I mean to take uh, there's the four elements that I talk about. That there's five elements. Take the, all four of them. Make the guarantee. Treat people like a family, and there's two others which I'm sure we'll get to. Use all of those, and then do something more. Then, uh, for example, <clears throat> I was. Saw a guy uh, who was a friend of mine was going to buy a house from a builder, and he just couldn't decide whether to buy the house or not. And you know he was having buyer's remorse before he bought. It was a major purchase that happens to all of us. We get scared, so it was before he couldn't write the check. And then so the builder said to him, "Here's what I'll do for you: buy the house, and if you're not happy with it in any way over the first six months, I'll give you all your money back." Can you fuse that offer? Very hard to. Now, obviously, he was able to do it at a time when real estate prices were rising and the risk to the builder was minimal, but still he made an offer somebody couldn't refuse. It also shows that the builder had confidence that the person would be happy with it. Yeah, absolutely. Great point. Great point. And it means a lot to us. 
because it means a lot to us. Right, because as a buyer, I'm thinking, gee, if the seller's willing to really make this guarantee, he really believes that I'm going to be okay. Mm Mm-hmm. That's a great point. And um, if I could go back to the the family issue again, can I I talk about that for a second? So I went out with a real estate agent myself um, some time ago to buy a um, home, and it was my first day out with her. And I never met her before, and we spent a rather fruitless day. I didn't like anything I saw, and we were about to pack up and end for the day. And she said, you know, there's one more home that we haven't visited. She said, I haven't seen it yet, but if you'd like to see it, we could drive over. And I said, sure. We drove over to it, and it was proverbial curb appeal. I loved it first sight. I was in love. We took a house tour. I loved it even more. And I said to her at the end of the – we got back in the car. I said, make a bid for the house tonight. And she said to me, no. And I said, no. And she said, no. And I never heard of a real estate agent saying no when somebody's telling her to make a bid on a house and she'd have a, a sure commission. And then she explained to me why. She said the house isn't right for you. And she explained to me that uh, the way the property was situated in a floor plan, I had told her that I might need to sell within a year and a half or two. And she said, this house you won't be able to sell in a year and a half or two. It's going to be a slow house to sell. So let's wait to find something else. So what she did there, treated me like a family member, put me ahead of her interests, Small-minded people have said to me, she talked herself out of a commission. No, she talked herself into hundreds of Loyalty. Loyalty, and I've referred her to so many people, and I bought a house from her, and I've told people to buy houses from her, and it's small-minded. The the, the old sales business playbook should be ripped up and thrown out because it's small-minded, stupid, and it doesn't work. Well, you know what you're really talking about here? I mean, is basic consideration and care for your fellow man. And treating them, you know, the whole thing, treat your neighbor as you treat yourself. And that's what this is all about. That's what you're talking about. In, yes, in great measure. Okay. And we've lost it. We don't do well, it Well, and that's what we're going to talk about when we come back is, you know, what are the ways to get this back? And one of the things that we probably have to talk about is trust, mm-hmm. how our culture doesn't always talk about trust. We talk about what goes wrong, so we don't always instill trust in people. So when we come back, let's, let's talk about that. Sure. My guest today is Mark Stevens, who is the author of God is a Salesman, Learn from the Master. And Mark Stevens is a best-selling author, prominent CEO of the marketing firm MSCO, and one of the most famous marketers in the world, and his website is msco.com. And remember, you're listening to Positive Living, and I'm Patricia Raskin. You can log on to my site at raskinresources.com. And stay tuned, folks. Again, you're listening to Positive Living. I'm Patricia Raskin. There's a lot more. We'll be right back. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Here's a show for baseball players, coaches, parents, and those who love the game. At least 90% of sports success, including baseball, requires mental strength in order to fully benefit from technical ability. And the higher the competition level, the more critical it becomes to possess mental muscle. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time to Championship Thinking, hosted by Jim Meyer and brought to you by the National High School Baseball Coaches Association. Jim, sports psychology coach, trainer, and author of numerous articles and the workbook, Championship Thinking, Building Mental Muscle in Baseball, simplifies the mental game with 
easy-to-understand tools and tips. With his weekly guest, Jim draws from successes with professionals, college, high school, and youth teams, coaches, and players. Learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time. When pressure, tension, and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance, tune in and tune up your mental and technical knowledge and skills with Championship Thinking every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time right here on America's Voice, Voice America. Hey, Dad. What? I can't get the ketchup bottle open. Here, let me try. Here you go. Thanks. You don't have to be a hero to be a hero. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Had an accident? The people you may encounter may be attorneys, doctors, and insurance agents. How do you protect yourself and your family? Tune into Meeting by Accident with attorney Tom Woodruff, an experienced trial attorney and former legislator. Attorney Woodruff and his expert guests assist and inform on what to do in a crisis, what steps to take, what to avoid, and most important, what you need to know to get through the process. Meeting by Accident broadcasts every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Because being informed makes all the difference. Tune into Meeting by Accident with attorney Tom Woodruff. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com today about being a salesperson and learning from the greatest master of all, and that master is God. My guest today is Mark Stevens, who is the author of God as a Salesman, Learn from the Master. He is a prominent CEO of the marketing firm MSCO and one of the world's most famous marketers, and his website is msco.com. Welcome back, Mark. Thank you. Okay, one of the things you talked about, there are five principles in God as a Salesman. We've talked about treating your customers like family, giving them 100% guarantee, making them an offer that they cannot refuse. And then you talk about it's not the product that sells, it's the provider. Right. I mean, there are so many salespeople. Let's just look, stay in the sales territory for a moment, but, but this really transitions out to anything you do in business and life. But if you're selling insurance or you're selling software or you're selling shoes, there's a million other people that are doing it. And the ones who really succeed as a life insurance salesperson, for example, is the one who makes him or herself really special. Because what you're doing is buying from an, a great salesperson becomes an expert and a friend. The product is of secondary importance. The poor salesperson leads with the you know, Xerox copier and start telling you about all of the technical specifications of the copier, not about the fact that they are somebody truly uh, unique and that you want to do business with them because they're full of ideas and solutions, etc. I mean, I, I, I saw the greatest salesperson I've ever seen in my life uh, this Thanksgiving period. Uh, one of my sons and I went to a restoration hardware store um, near where we live, and the saleswoman was extraordinary. And I love salespeople. And she was attentive and inventive and innovative and warm and um, 
gracious and loving, and it was amazing. The surprise to many people is that she was deaf and could not speak. Um, and, wow, that was just extraordinary. And she never saw, you could see, the what others might consider to be limitations. They were, they were not limitations to her. She used a computer that was on the floor to show me different patterns and colors. She had glee in her eyes. She held my hand and walked me through the store. We were done. I kissed her goodbye. Um, and so I've asked those people since then, what if you couldn't talk? Could you still sell? And at first they say no, but then when I tell them the story, it makes us all recognize that if we dip into the reservoir of skills and assets we have that we don't use, we can be so much more effective and... I love this woman. And she really could not speak. No, she couldn't. She could not speak intelligibly, and she couldn't hear. Amazing. And I didn't know what was going on at first because she was wearing a Restoration Hardware um, apron, mm-hmm. and I approached her from behind, and I said, Miss, Miss, and she wasn't turning around, and I tapped her shoulder. And when she turned around, she, you know, said something unintelligible, and then I kind of got it in about a second and a half. But it was just a big, radiant smile. It, and, and you know, I wrote, actually wrote to in, uh, did a blog on it and wrote to uh, uh, headquarters of Restoration Hardware, congratulating them for allowing their HR practices to allow somebody mm-hmm. like this. To did be you hear back going. from them? Nope. <laughs> and and but then I realized I shouldn't compliment them. I should only compliment her. They're the fortunate ones. They were blessed by her presence. So what you're really saying here is it's it's not about the words. It's about your energy, your presence, your dynamic quality, your interest, and all that's really nonverbal. A lot of it is. Yeah, and, and but but part of it is is verbal or or written or whatever. It's your expertise. You know, if I know that uh, you are a real estate agent or you are a, uh, a physician, because physicians have to sell sometimes too. If I know that you are have expertise, Patricia, and then I will want to do business with you because you have something that can help me um, take care of something of importance to me. If you're just a Willie Loman salesperson with a bag of goods on your back trying to earn a commission, I want to run away from you. Mm-hmm. So when we see a salesperson, we want to run in the other direction. When we see an expert and a friend, an advisor, we want to embrace that person because they have knowledge that can be of great value to us. So. Mm-hmm. Um, in one way or another, in one way or another, demonstrate to people that you have expertise. I'm, I'm about to leave this evening for Oregon to visit with a client whose business is flat and is in the financial services business. And, and I know now, because I've spoken enough, uh, the first time I'm going to meet this firm, they don't distinguish themselves. They're just another financial services firm in a world filled with financial services firm, firms. But I know they have a hidden capability, which I've drawn out of them in our conversations, but it has to come to the surface because one aspect of what they do, very few people do. So if people get to understand that, you'd want to know about that. How do I build it into my personal portfolio? I want to, I want to share something when you talked about this last story. It's not the product that sells, it's the producer and about physicians. Recently went to a physician who was not the fancy specialist, uh, was more uh, not urgent care, primary care, but the person behind the desk was a man and said to me, you're really going to like this doctor. He's really there for his patients. 
And I was skeptical because, you know, I didn't have to wait two months. And isn't it a shame that we, you know, that we, that we think for someone's good because we mm-hmm. have to wait two months to get in to see them. So I got in pretty quickly. This, this doctor sat with me for as long as I needed, really listened, really shared, very much of what you were saying, wasn't trying to um, sell me, was listening to what my concerns were and sharing his expertise. And then he said, I want you to know, he said, whenever you come in here, he said, I give every person the time they need. If you need two minutes, fine. If you need an hour, that's fine too. He said, some people may not like that, but everybody gets what they need here. And I thought, wow. And that really has drawn me back to that person. And it's interesting because we have these notions that people have to be hard to get. We have these different notions that that's what makes them good. And yet what really makes them good is that they're there for us and that they get it and they listen and they understand. Yeah, and we're not used to that. So when you see what you saw with that experience with that physician, it took you by surprise. It did. And to be so rewarding because it's so absent from traditional relationships with physicians, particularly in today's healthcare business, the way time is allocated so uh, precisely. There's no time to talk to you and get to know you, and people feel a loss in that regard. But, you know, there's a story I tell in uh, in the book um, that um, goes back to the guarantee issue. So I had to have major surgery a couple of years ago, and um, when I was in the hospital, the um, the admin staff was doing the the way they operate admin staff, and they were telling me I could die and I could get a stroke, and you know my my chances of death, and I had to sign these papers. And then in strode the the surgeon who's world famous, and he was starting to tell me about the um, what the post op period would be like. This was an eight hour surgery. And I said to him, you know, Doc, if you can get me to open my eyes up, I'll take care of the post-op. I'm a fighter. And he said to me, I, you'll open your eyes. I guarantee it. Now, isn't it interesting? Because that made me feel great. Um, I knew that he's not God, but I knew that the guarantee was so important to me. And a lot of people won't make the guarantee because they feel, well, they go to that legal boilerplate fine print, etc. But he knew the importance of it. And then a few weeks after my book came out, uh, one of my best friends is a surgeon, and he is a real play-by-the-book guy, very good surgeon, but plays it by the book, went to Harvard Medical School, you know, etc., etc. And he told me, you know, Mark, after reading the book, now when my patients come in my office, if I believe it, which is that that's the case for 99% of the patients who come in, I tell them that before they leave, you'll be fine. I guarantee it. He broke down a long-held fear of saying guarantee. Mm-hmm. So he became a better, more comfortable physician, and his patients left happier. And nobody's lying. He doesn't believe he's not going to do it. I'm not, I'm not a Pollyanna. But don't be afraid to say it. Don't be afraid to say it. Mm-hmm. The last one you have here in terms of your five key principles are people buy trust before they buy products, which is just what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So what do I mean by that? I mean, you know, you we want... I One of my first jobs was to... Uh, I was in high school when I, I, I saw a job, summer job for a kid to... Um, it was three times the going rate for kids in summer jobs 
And uh, so I took a couple of buses. I lived in Queens, New York at the time, and uh, went to apply for this job. It looked like it might be too good to be true, but it wasn't. They were actually paying three times the going rate. What I have to do, I had to go sell magazine subscriptions in um, East New York and Harlem and Red Hook sections of Brooklyn. At a time when it was a great deal of racial strife in New York City, I was a white kid going into black communities at a dangerous time. Uh, but I took the job. I was 16. I felt immortal. The geniuses who own the place uh, told me that, that what I should do is sell it as a sweepstakes. There was a sweepstakes and tell everybody the more magazines they ordered, the more entries with their name they'd be submitted to the sweepstakes, and they had a greater chance of winning. So I tried that for a week because I didn't know any better, and these are the guys that own the business, and et cetera, et cetera. It didn't work. But I did notice after the first week of failure um, that the women, I was mostly women in, in these tenement buildings, they were very clean apartments. They had pictures of the family on the credenzas or on the televisions, pictures of uh, John Kennedy, pictures of Martin Luther King, pictures of Jesus, uh, clean apartments. They gave me co- uh, tea. They gave me cookies. And I realized, you know, these people really want to, to get out of this cycle of poverty. So I went back the next week and I said, you know, what I'm selling you is not magazines. I mean, I'm selling you education. This is, I mean, I'm selling you waiting to get your kids and you yourself out of the cycle of poverty because usually the people who know more, who read more, succeed more. And it worked. And you know what? I built trust with them. I threw out the sweepstakes junk. I, I sold a lot of stuff that several, more important, I made a lot of friends. I, the racial issue was not there at all. I was completely accepted. I mean, in the hallways, sometimes I had some problems with some, some gangs, etc. but I wasn't afraid. I wasn't afraid. And I, I made friends, and I learned something. I learned about the power of trust. They came to trust me. I trusted them. They got education. I had a, a wonderful experience. These are the things that I'm writing about in the book. All right, I want to give you an example and have you, this would be a caller question. Okay, someone would call in and say this. Mark, I have a client who I feel doesn't trust me. They're buying from me because my price is good and because I, I deliver customer service. But I'm always getting a lot of questions. I'm always getting tested. What advice would you give to that person, Mark? I would I would uh, take the um, the customer or the client out to lunch if it's convenient, if they're nearby, or if not, have a uh, off hours teleconference with them and just broach the issue head on. I, you know, um, Patricia, you've been my customer for five years, five months, whatever. I love surfing you. Something inside me tells me you don't trust me. And, and maybe I'm wrong. So, but if I'm right, let's get it out on the table because I pride myself on being a trustworthy person and having a business of integrity. I don't like things to be swept under the table. If I'm doing something that's causing you to distrust me, I want to know about it so I can fix it. Because the last thing I want to do is to work with people who don't trust me. In fact, I'd rather not do business with you um, and I say this respectfully, if you're doing it for price alone, because you don't really know me, you don't know my company, we strive to have integrity. So why don't we talk about it? Because if there's something in the way, it may be my fault, and I want to take responsibility for removing it. Mark, have you ever had to do this? Were you Not about trust, I don't think, if I don't remember, but it's been so many years I've been in business, but I've, I've done things like that all the time. All the time. You get it out on the table. Yeah, something isn't right. I can see something's not right. Let's talk about it. Uh, and, and, that and, and there have been many times that I've said to clients of our firm, 
we made a mistake. I'm sorry. I didn't see that. You're right. I can't believe that we did that. I, I don't mean that, you know, uh, we, 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 something was delivered broken. I, I mean something I didn't see. And somebody brought it up, and I said, wow. It's so easy to go into a corner and defend your mistakes and inadequacies. It's so much braver and so much more rewarding to go back into the arena and say, how can I do it better? I don't want, I don't want to do it halfway. It's, this is life we're talking about, Patricia and the caller and the world. This is, we're talking about, this is not a dress rehearsal. This is life. This is life. This is the greatest gift anybody can have. We're given this gift of life by God. Let's use it fully. The more we pretend, the more plastic, superficial, lying, deceptive. It, 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 you're wasting every second you do it, you're wasting. You're wasting. You're, you're abusing the greatest death. That's the only sin. Very well said. Very well said. All right, we're going to take a break. My guest today is Mark Stevens, who is the author of the book, God is a Salesman. Learn from the Master. Mark Stevens is a best-selling author, prominent CEO of the marketing firm MSCO, and his website is msco.com. And you can call us after the break if you're listening live on Monday, February 18th. You can call us at 866-472-5788. You're listening to Positive Living. I'm Patricia Raskin. Stay tuned, folks. We'll be right back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Wine and Women is not your boring wine geek show. It is rather a fresh, fast-paced approach featuring interesting stories and entertaining segments about wine and wine-related topics through a warm and chatty format that will appeal especially to women. Men are optional. Hosted by wine connoisseurs and luxury lifestyle experts Julie Brosterman, Lisa Kring, Sharon Borston, and Jeanette Oku, Wine and Women takes listeners to Napa, Sonoma, and other wine regions worldwide to meet the best as well as the newest winemakers. To restaurants to meet top chefs and sommeliers, to wine-themed spas, wine country getaways, even into supermarket wine aisles where Women and Wine Angels swoops down and helps shoppers to get their wine picks and more. Women and Wine broadcasts each Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Women and Wine, enjoying life one sip at a time. I can take care of myself. I can make a peanut butter sandwich. I can brush my teeth and I can give myself a bath. I can walk home alone from school. I can pick dinner from the trash behind the deli. I can watch the baby for the whole weekend. I can keep a baseball bat by my bed just in case there's trouble. Don't worry about me. I can take care of myself. If you're in jail, who'll be there to take care of your family? Something to think about before committing a gun crime. Gun crimes hit home. This message brought to you by Project Safe Neighborhoods and the Ad Council. What would you do if you knew that you could not fail? The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile is a radio forum for some of the world's most influential people in the fields of health, wellness, and human potential. 
Dr. Pat brings together and introduces visionary scientists and futurists, environmentalists, educators, business leaders, inventors, filmmakers, authors, artists, mystics, and healers who inspire and support individual and collective growth and positive cultural shifts. This award-winning show empowers the listening community to be the change they want to see in the world. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern for the Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Facilli, radio to thrive by. News Talk Radio, voiceamerican.com. Voiceamerica.com. Positive Living, and I'm Patricia Raskin. You know, as I always say, this program, Positive Living, is all about turning your problems into solutions, your challenges and your obstacles into opportunities, and making your dreams come true. We give you those tools each week. I'm the facilitator who brings the best of the best on to give you those tools in every area, whether it's health, wellness, spirituality, finances, Uh, self-help, positive psychology, whatever it is to help you live your life in a better way that satisfies you, that brings you joy. We are talking today about selling, but we're talking today about how do we sell with integrity and how do we bring God into it. My guest is Mark Stevens, who is the author of God is a Salesman, Learn from the Master. Mark Stevens is a best-selling author, prominent CEO of the marketing firm MSCO. And he's a very famous marketer, and his company is MSCO.com. Welcome back, Mark. Thank you. You know, um, one of the things I said to you during the break is that, you know, what I really hear you talking about is putting your cards on the table with your customers with integrity, speaking your truth and doing it with honesty, integrity, and the God piece comes in through the integrity and, and speaking the truth that you know is from your higher power, from God. Yeah, and, and, and I think one of the things that um, inhibits people is that they're afraid. And why do you think that is? Well, why are they afraid? Well, most people live what I call in the life protection business. Um, so there's two ways you can live. You can live the way I look at it, in the life protection business. You can spend your whole life trying to protect your life. Mm-hmm. Or you can live in the life enjoyment business, life maximization business. And I think the only one God wants us to live, God has a flow. We're going to die. I mean, so many people spend their whole lives protecting their lives against the inevitable. We don't even know where we'll go to next, whatever. That's in God's plan. But people are so afraid that they spend their lives in this life protection business as opposed to maximizing our time on earth and just jump into the pool and and truly enjoy it. And once you do that, once you recognize that, you're so liberated, you're so liberated, and, and the fear you have of telling people this or people don't like you or you'll be too outspoken or, you know, they, they might not like what you say, all that crap goes away because you, 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 you're, you deal with honesty and integrity and you deal in a fearless way. You yes, can't you are risking, but wait a minute, you are risking saying something to somebody in which they may say, you're full of it, I don't believe this, and I don't like what you're saying. I don't see that as risk. They may do that. They may say that, but then 
or they may just look at you that way, but then you have every opportunity to say, I see the way you're looking at me, Patricia, what's wrong? You doubt me? I, maybe you do. So if you doubt me because we just met, I have to prove it to you. I have to prove it to you. So when, when we get clients first come to MSCO, to my firm, I tell them, we have to earn your trust. You, you have no reason to earn our trust. That trust us because just because you read my books or you spoke to other clients, we have to earn your trust. I understand that, but um, the human nature is such that we are going to be skeptical in the beginning. What's the difference? So what? Prove them wrong. What are you going to do? Hold back and not do it because you're afraid that they won't believe you? You can box yourself in a million ways, Patricia. If you want me to show you a million ways to box yourself in, I'll show you the algorithm. But if you want to be free and live your life fully and take the chances and enjoy yourself and have integrity, whoa, you could just go for it. What, what bad could happen to you? What could happen to you? Somebody doesn't believe you at the outset? Somebody thinks you're lying at the outset? Prove them wrong. Where's the risk? I don't see the risk. I don't see the risk, so show me the risk. I see a bigger risk. Well, one of the things you're saying, though, in the way you're speaking, is that you as a salesperson have to have a lot of faith and confidence in yourself and also not be so sensitive that you take things too personally. That's the other part of that. Yeah, not only as a salesperson, but in all of life, if you take things too sensitively, meaning this, nothing wrong with being sensitive. I'm not really sure that word means anymore, but you can't be, none of us can be afraid of what other people think of us if we know that we feel comfortable with what we're doing, A. And too many people, so B is too many people spend too much time worrying about what other people think of them, which means they should really pay rent to the other people because they're in their brains so much that they owe them rent, is what I tell people who work for me and my friends and associates, et cetera. Um, so you need to, as far as I'm concerned, um, recognize that yes, you have confidence in yourself. Um, you 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 are introspective enough to ask yourself if you really are doing what you believe is the good and right thing to do. You're open to self improvement. You're not going to, however, allow yourself to be um, hostage or victim to what other people think of you. Let, let me take an extreme case, okay? Let's say you love somebody. Let's say you love, you're madly in love with another person, and they leave you. They wake up one morning, you're deeply in love with them, and they say, you know, I don't love you anymore, Mark. Overnight. So what should I do, Patricia? What should I do? Cry, maybe. <laughs> and then what? And then what? Pick yourself up. Yeah, no, yeah, I call it going through the tunnel of pain, right? So, okay, so I had a, uh, the person's happened to me, it's happened to most people who've been willing to love, you get, you lose sometimes. So what you have to do is go through what I call the tunnel of pain, you have to recognize this can't be salvaged, you realize that you have to, you have to break yourself from that person, um, whether it's a, a, a actual lover or a business relationship or whatever, and recognize that it's over, Recognize that it's over. Walk through the tunnel of pain. It's very painful for the first day. Next day, next day, next day, next day. A week later gets a little bit easier. A month later gets a little bit easier, and then you're out of it. At some point, you're out of it if you're determined to go through the tunnel of pain. But some people can't get over it. They just can't get over it. They just allow themselves to, to, to say, I can't live without this person. And that's not true. 
The inner strength has to be there. You have to say the world is full of people. I'll find somebody else. I took a hit. I took a hit. I've taken a hit. You've probably taken a hit. Most people listening have taken a hit. If you're willing to love, you've taken a hit once or twice or three times. But that doesn't mean you stop living. No, you keep going. And you find others, and you find beauty at the end of that tunnel. You know, one of the things you write about in your book that I really like, you say, is we seek to learn from the Master. We should think of why he is adored. It has nothing to do with a product or service. It is because we believe that God is, and you list five things, great, loving, accepting, generous, and moral. And then you write, none of these attributes are flashy, trendy, exotic, or expensive. Quite the opposite. They represent the staff of life, simple goodness, and inner beauty that is so rare in our world, and when we see it, we're awed by it. We embrace it and give it to ourselves. Right. It's funny when you say that, sometimes I, I forget what I wrote, and just hearing it again is like reading a psalm to me. And I don't, I, you know, I didn't really, I mean, I wrote that, but I'm sure I'd it came from other things that I've read and from the 23rd Psalm and other Psalms and other readings and, and songs and conversations all come together. So when I read, hear you say that again, those words that I wrote, it's like the first time I ever heard it. Hmm. And um, it's so true. I think it's so true. We're all so you, busy trying you, you to manufacture. Right after you, I read that, you wrote about a woman that you met in a client office in Palo Alto, and you asked about her secrets. And the secret was that she was a beautiful woman that people just loved to buy from. Right. And because she didn't even know that she was selling. No, I, the, a client had started a sales department, and it was going well, and I asked them why, and they said it was started by this woman who's been a great job starting it. And I said, why? And they said, well, they joked and said she's so beautiful. We don't even know if anybody knows what she's selling. They just want to buy from her. So hmm. I said, well... I can't believe it's that simple, actually, and my firm was hired to support this emerging sales department, so I said I'd like to see her work in action. So it was set up for me to meet with her in another city one morning for breakfast and then go out with her to watch her, what she did. And um, so I went into the dining room of the hotel looking for this amazingly beautiful woman, um, and I, I saw one sitting there, so I walked up to her and I said, uh, Hi, this is Mark, and she looked at me and she said, uh, I'm not Donna. I don't know who you are. And she went back to reading the Wall Street Journal. So I went to the major D and I said, I'm, "This is Mr. Stevens. I'm looking for." And she said, "Oh yes, yes. Donna's waiting for you over here." And it was actually a different dining room. And they took me to a woman, and it shocked me because the woman that they took me to was not physically attractive. So I didn't understand. I was I was like a deer in the headlights for a moment. Mm-hmm. And then we started talking, and and then I in about ninety seconds I saw her beauty. She it was it she. Looked into your soul. She asked questions about you. She, she was just a magnificent creature in the way she was in her humanness. And I realized what a dumb ass I was. I was thinking that the beauty that they were referring to was some just superficial physical beauty. They meant she was a beautiful woman. And wow, what a little learning epiphany experience that was. And we became friends ever, ever since then. And again, I learned from her. I went to teach her about how to scale out a successful sales organization, but I learned from her. And the learning from other people, too, Patricia, is part of the secret of enjoying an amazing life. Here's another 
interesting that you wrote. When you see a customer or a prospect, you have to demonstrate clear and unmistakable passion about what you are selling. If you have passion about it, you don't need to robotically read. You just have passion. That's one of my five pieces of success, Mark. Talk about passion. Are you there? Yeah, I'm just thinking because you just struck such a... All these things strike, strike such a chord with me. Um, if you're going to sell, if I'm going to use the term sell um, broadly and, and tightly, um, don't bother doing it unless you feel, wow, this is a great thing. If you believe it's a great thing, then um, you will exude that sense of wonderment at what you are talking to other people about, not selling them. So you don't really sell. You, you talk and you show ideas and the selling takes care of itself. So if you're passionate about something, um, people will, um, it's contagious, and they'll want to know more about it and why and how you got to be passionate about this, and they'll want to share that passion. And uh, People don't want to uh, buy from you some piece of software because of its technical specifications, but if they see the wonderment that you bring forward, you know, a great model for this is Steve Jobs. You know, forget about his personal personality, et cetera, which is people always talk about. He's great at showing you uh, things that he's passionate about, and then the passion gets contagious from the iPod to the iPhone to the new Air. You know, the, the guy loves this stuff, and it's so it's so uh, contagious to all of us that we go buy things we don't need, but that give us pleasure. Because so, so I would say whatever it is you're selling, um, in quotes, um, find the make sure you are passionate about it, or sell something else, and and then don't lead with the with the catalog specs on it. Lead with what you feel is what makes it extraordinary. Because if you lead with that. People will will share that intense feeling, and they'll want to buy from you, and do business with you, and work from you, and know you, and have a drink with you, and and have lunch with you, and talk to you, and dream with you. That's when you get real chemistry and real power and real success. So, do you think there's a certain amount here of living in the moment and letting go of expectation? And here's what I mean: you're passionate, you believe in what you're doing. You're selling your service or product because this is your passion, but you're not sitting there thinking, oh, and man, I really hope I sell this guy or this woman. You just do it and you let it go. What do you think, Mark? Yeah, great salespeople never sell anything. They, they, they never look like they're selling anything, and in fact, they're not really selling anything. They're, it's a very interesting thing because um, Willie Loman type salespeople are come into a room and they're determined to sell something. But great salespeople, that, you know, I made, here's an example. I, whenever I take a client out for lunch, I have a rule. I will never ask the client for any to do business with me, uh, whether it's a client or a prospect. And the classic sales book rule says, ask for the business, ask for the business. But I never do. I, I think it's disrespectful. So if I invite somebody out for lunch, I'm never going to ask them, so now will you buy? Will you buy this thing? Will you do this thing? Will you take this thing? Can you make this order? What inevitably happens is so interesting. I only talk about sports and, and weather and uh, politics and movies and their families. By the time the coffee comes, by the time the coffee comes, the table will always turn. They start selling me. They say to me, hey, Mark, what's new at MSCO? What's going on on the Internet? What, what new Internet programs do you have? How about your PR programs? What, 
What can we do to, you know, increase our search engine optimization? They start selling me. You, you, you don't sell. You bring ideas up. You become a source of knowledge and education, information. People will ask you for it. Don't sell. Selling is cheap. Selling is annoying. Educate. Entertain. Tell a great story. But also part of this is also keeping up with trends and keeping up with what's happening in the marketplace as well. Would you agree with that? The product has to. The product has to. Yeah, and you do need to know that the product that you're offering, but some of it's timeless. I mean, I think I tell the story in the book, but it's one of my favorite stories anyway, where I was in Venice a couple of years ago, and I didn't need... I was just walking through a... Uh, 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 you know, walking down one of the lovely streets in Venice, and I saw a little jewelry shop and uh, that sold watches. And I went in. I already had uh, several beautiful watches at home. I didn't need a watch, but it was a charming little shop. And I walked in, and the gentleman who owned the shop started telling me stories. And he told me the story of Italian jewelry making and Italian watchmaking. And I got swept up in the story. He didn't try to sell me anything, ostensibly. And and make a long story short, it wasn't a very long story. A half hour later, I walked out of that shop with a $5,000 new watch strapped on my wrist. I'm actually wearing it right now. And it was a wonderful experience. I'm glad I bought it. I didn't need it. I wanted it. He told me a story. Nothing to do with trends in the marketplace. Sometimes there is trends in the marketplace. But beauty and storytelling and fashion and, and art, those are timeless. Those are timeless. And he was a, and he was a great storyteller. That's timeless. He could have pivoted me from that to, to something you know high tech, because he I met a raconteur yeah. who didn't yeah. try to sell me something. He tried to engage me, and he engaged me you know exponentially. Yeah. What so, I keep, what I keep hearing though in everything you're saying is it's it's about you, it's about you as a salesperson developing yourself, developing your integrity, developing your your uh, your product, developing your passion. It's about you. What do you think? Yes, absolutely. It's about it's about you, but about how you relate to your fellow man. Mm-hmm. So one of the, one of the stories I tell in the in the book is um, um, I was selling one of my first entrepreneurship job when I was selling Christmas trees in high school. So I'd sell Christmas trees one Christmas, bought a truckload of trees, borrowed some money from my dad, uh, paid him back, got a Texaco station that let me sell the trees. And I noticed that some families would come by, and they seemed to love a tree, but then they'd walk away without it, and they looked disappointed. So I said to my dad, what's going on? Why aren't they buying these trees, these people? And he said, they can't afford it. So he said, I'm telling you, they can't afford it. So when you see a family like that, Mark, and you genuinely think that they love the tree but can't afford it, tell them, take the tree. I know you left your wallet home so that you won't embarrass them. And here's my contact information. Send me the money whenever you, whenever you get back to your wallet. I did that with about ten people that 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 Christmas. And what happened? And they all—it was amazing. It was an amazing thing because I got—they all sent me back um, within a matter of days or months uh, the money for the tree with a card. Thank you for making my Christmas with extra money put into it. With extra money put into it. Um, with lovely handwritten messages to me that I made their Christmas for them and their children. Then the capper was a year later or so, my dad had died. My family, my mother, my sister, and I were completely broke. Um, one of the people I had not heard from 
called me and said, you know, that I'm the guy, one of the people we gave a cheer through that year. Uh, I was an alcoholic, recovering. My business was in the, in the you know, it was, it was destroyed. I came back. I went into rehab. I'm back in business again. Do you need a job? And, and you made my Christmas. And, and that, at that moment, my dad died and left us at $84. So we had nothing. I needed a job. Things come full circle, Patricia. And, and um, I didn't do it to get the money back. I did it to do something in the spirit of Christmas. All right. If you want to leave our listeners today with one thing about how God is a salesman and how can, they can really add joy to their life and also be more productive as salespeople, what would you say? that they should um, recognize that everybody has to sell something to someone at some time. I'm the father of two sons. I had to sell my sons on the need to be respectful adults who, and, and people who would be successful, who would not play video games all the time but would study. I had to do with that pushing them, I had to do it by mentoring them. So selling is not from the boiler room school of the of Hollywood. It's a way of dealing with other people, friends, customers, clients, family members. It's a way of influencing. Do you want to be an influencer? Do you want to be a force for good? Do you want to help a friend and get out of a bad habit? You want to sell more things so you can be more successful so you can live a fulfilling life. Just if you see, view salesmanship in quotes and tying it back again as I do to the foundation for why five people and people billion people believe in a God, and you establish yourself as an influencer, then you've mastered something wonderful and you'll reap the rewards for your entire life. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for coming on, this, on the show today. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Stay on the line, please. My guest today has been Mark Stevens. His book is God as a Salesman, Learn from the Master. And you can log on to his website, which is msco.com. Mark Stevens is a best-selling author, prominent CEO of the marketing firm MSCO. MSCO. Folks, remember, as I say each time when we close our program, stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need, and know you can make your dreams come true. Until next time, I'm Patricia Raskin for Positive Living. Have a great Monday and a great week. Listening to Positive Living with Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. For an autographed copy of Patricia's new book, Pathfinding Seven Principles for Positive Living, log on to RaskinResources.com and tune in next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, right here on VoiceAmerica.com.